You're listening to Pop Health Week on Healthcare Now Radio. I'm Greg Masters, Managing Director of Health Innovation Media, co-founder and producer of the show. In the studio today is Fred Goldstein, President of Accountable Health, LLC, a Jacksonville, Florida-based consulting firm. Fred is co-founder and principal host of Pop Health Week. On today's broadcast... We're delighted to introduce you to Darren Anderson, MD, who serves as Chief Quality Officer for Community Health Center Incorporated. Dr. Darren Anderson is a general internist and has worked in safety net practices for his entire career. Community Health Center Incorporated is a large, multi-site community health center providing primary care to over 145,000 medically underserved patients across Connecticut. In addition, Dr. Anderson is the director of Community Health Center's Weitzman Institute, a research and innovation center dedicated to improving primary care for underserved populations. The Weitzman Institute leads a range of initiatives focused on practice transformation and workforce development and has created an e-consult process that is now being used across Connecticut and in 10 additional states. In addition, Weitzman researchers are engaged in a range of research projects focused on health disparities, telehealth, and pain and opioid abuse treatment in primary care. And with that introduction, Fred, help us get to know Dr. Anderson and his work at both Community Health Center as well as the Weitzman Institute. Thank you so much, Greg. And Darren, welcome to Pop Health Week. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on. It's really interesting work you're doing. So why don't we first start out, give us a little bit of your background and what you're doing at Community Health Centers, Inc. Great. Yeah, so so my background is internal medicine. You know, I, I went into healthcare wanting to be a primary care provider. And right after residency, I immediately started working in a federally qualified health center here in Connecticut, really with a focus of taking care of the medically underserved in the state. And I spent several years as a full-time provider, but I think pretty early on started to become even more compelled and interested in finding ways to make the system work better. There's so many examples of things in the healthcare system that are inefficient and ineffective, even more so when it comes to care for the medically underserved and those without insurance. And so kind of took a career path change and started taking on more administrative roles and getting more involved in, uh, in quality improvement. And then uh, most recently in 2010, assumed a new role as director of the Weitzman Institute, which is our research and innovation center that we created here in Middletown, Connecticut, focused on finding better solutions to providing better care to patients uh, in primary care, again, with a particular focus on the, uh, on the medically underserved. Yeah, it's really a unique community. And a lot of times people don't focus a lot on that, although obviously if you can make a difference there, it's, it's pretty amazing. So what are some of the unique things you've seen, obviously working within a very qualified health center and what sort of approaches do they have that might perhaps be different from other providers or the same? Well, yeah, you know, the federally qualified health centers have been around for decades, uh, and there's there's over about 1,200 of them across the country. Each of them is an independent organization, nonprofit. But what's unique about them is their uh, board of among other things, their board of directors is comprised at least uh, majority of end users. And so I think really from the 
beginning of the federally qualified health center movement, the focus of those health centers has been on meeting the needs of the community and meeting the needs of the medically underserved population. And I think although each FQHC is independent, we uh, meet on a regular basis and have common you know, platforms to communicate and share ideas. So I think in many ways, it's, it's one of, if not the largest sort of organized group of, of health systems and health centers in the country focusing on meeting the needs of a specific population. And that's allowed us to do a lot of things that in the for-profit world haven't really necessarily been possible, at least in the past. Mm-hmm. And part of this you mentioned also is you're at the Weizmann Institute. What exactly is that and how does that relate to the clinics and also what additional services are you working on through that? Yeah, so the Weizmann Institute was our unique creation. It's a research and education center that we built really with a, with a unique mission of collaborating and uh, communicating cl- you know, closely with other health centers like us around the country to conduct formal research and develop education programs and interventions that would improve the quality of care specifically for the types of patients cared for in the safety net. I think there's a, there's a, a pretty significant gap in the sort of the academic literature and in, in most of the research studies that are done where there's really under representation of minority populations, uh, underserved populations. They, they don't tend to be as well represented in research. And so that was one of the main gaps that we were trying to fill is to really conduct research specifically in those settings and really pragmatic research, not research about whether drug A is better than drug B, but rather research that would explore certain types of delivery system innovations and whether they worked. You know, does it help patients with diabetes to call up and talk with them on the phone more frequently, help give them advice about self-management goals and things like that. Does that intervention work? We started focusing pretty early on on looking for solutions to help address the lack of access to specialty care uh, and found that uh, electronic transmission of consults and electronic communication could go a long way towards bridging that gap. And so these were some of the types of problems that our research teams started focusing on. And that's, that's a big part of what we do at Weitzman is really try to find innovative solutions and foster and promote technology and innovation in the primary care space. And having worked with FQHCs in the past when I was running a Medicaid HMO, you know, obviously it's a unique group of practices and how they work in their communities. And we contracted with a large number of them here in Northeast Florida back in the day. And they really were taking a slightly different approach. And I've felt that if you can make the systems work in these disadvantaged populations, then those types of practices are the kinds of things that can work anywhere. Uh, Have you found that sort of in your research as you talked about these ideas of building out some of the needs for, for those types of patients? Yep, absolutely. I think uh, we, we take pride in, in what, I, what I often think of as providing you know, quality of care and access to innovation here in our community health center that I don't necessarily have in the private practice that I go to. So I, and I think partly because of our community focus, partly because of the emphasis of integration of services and uh, the collaboration that we have across multiple health centers, it's enabled us to do a lot of things that are particularly innovative. This, the community health centers were among the earliest adopters of electronic health record technology technology and you know in in the I was talking a little bit about e-consults and this the research that we've done on on connecting electronically specialists in primary care that started in Connecticut anyway with the Medicaid population and we're we're finding you know pretty rapidly that the work that we're doing and the innovations have broad application outside of uh, the community health centers and in in the in the more of the commercial environments as well and, and I think in, in in large part the the financial model that has you know in in the past up until recently really emphasized fee for service has not has not made it possible or not not made it advantageous for many of these types of innovations to take root. But as we see a lot happening in the area of payment reform, you know, 
both within and outside the FQHC world, a lot more of these types of innovations are, um, are more advantageous. And so we're seeing interest well beyond just the FQHCs now as we expand our work around the country. So let's dig in a little bit into uh, you know, this e-consult system that you folks have developed. Getting to specialists in the, in the disadvantaged populations has always been a problem, whether that's having enough specialists in an area to actually be seen or actually getting to the specialists. So talk about the ComfortMed system and what it is and how it works. Yeah, so we, we really set, up, set out initially to solve an access problem, as you alluded to. Primary care can be provided, and FQHCs provide a really high level of quality in primary care. But at the point at which we need advice, input, guidance from a specialist, all of that quality care comes to a screeching halt. Because, you know, as you alluded to, specialists, depending on where you're located, are often few and far between if you're in a rural location. And if you're taking care of an uninsured or Medicaid patient, even if you have many specialists in the area, there's very limited access for Medicaid and uninsured patients to those. And so we set out to develop, test, and really do some rigorous research on whether or not connecting with specialists electronically would be able to help reduce that access inequality. Because we knew that lack of access to specialty was one of the main drivers of healthcare inequality that we were seeing in, in, in the outcomes that our patients were experiencing. So it's you know, it's less of a technology and it's more of really a workflow and a rethinking of the way we communicate back and forth. So the platform that we developed and the process we put together really was simply that when a primary care provider had a, had a, a specialty-related question, whether they, they thought they needed to, to send a patient to a specialist, we would transmit the information about the patient and the question that the primary care provider had to a specialist and they would be able to review that information and then confer back and forth with the PCP about what they thought and what they recommended. And you know, our hope was that by setting up a system like that, the specialist would be able to determine you know, how quickly the patient needed to be seen and what we ought to do in the meantime. And we found that that certainly was true. But what we found that was even more, I think, striking to us was that a significant percentage of the consults that we were sending this way didn't need to be seen face-to-face at all. They, the question that the PCP had, the advice that they were seeking, the recommendations for next steps could be provided safely and effectively electronically in, in no more than two business days. And so that's really what e-consults are. The primary care provider sends their question and the, re- the background information about the case to the specialist, and the specialist sends back some advice. Sometimes they say, here's what I think you need to do, and I don't need to see them in person. Other times they will say, I, this person needs a face-to-face visit. But in the meantime, here's some of the things that you should do to maximize the value of that visit when the patient gets to see me. And we, we did that on a very small scale, starting just with one specialty, cardiology, did a lot of tests which I can and research to, to really understand how that worked. And as we were able to prove its value and its impact, we have now scaled it up to uh, pretty much all specialties and have really built a nonprofit company around this whole concept and doing it at scale around the country. So in this case, it sounds like, as you said, the primary care physician has a question of a specialist regarding a patient, and you're actually, in many cases, not having to have the visits, so it's become more efficient as well as cost savings, I guess, associated with not having to do that? Yeah, so it's really, you know, like I said, we started off trying to solve the access problem, and our our hypothesis was many of these problems could probably be answered electronically. That way we can focus 
getting patients in for face-to-face only for those that really need it and reduce you know, the number of patients who need access. But as you, as you kind of picked up on and as our study showed, we were really hitting the triple aim with this because in, in addition to being you know, an efficient way of exchanging information, we were improving patient experience. Many patients could continue to get their care in their patient-centered medical home, primary care in their community, didn't need to take another day off and go see a specialist. And the subsequent research we did when we were looking more at the financial side of this showed that there was a significant savings to the entire healthcare system as well, because being able to provide an answer to a primary care provider in two days and having them implement that in primary care saved significant amount of money from the alternative, which was sending patients for a specialty visit, often multiple subsequent visits. And we, there's quite a bit of evidence that you know when patients are engaged in the specialty system, a lot of tests and procedures and things tend to get ordered, and sometimes those weren't necessary. The the cost savings that we saw when we analyzed the claims data was significant, and I think that's what's now provided the driver to really build and grow systems like this within Medicaid, but also in in the ACO markets and and really anywhere where cost savings is an important part of the equation. Yeah, particularly as we're trying to move to value-based care, I guess it's become a little more center into the center of our thinking here. In terms of this, you mentioned that some of the federal government, the changes in reimbursement, was that part of what hindered this early on? And how do providers, say specialists, get reimbursed? So I think that the research that we did showed really significant savings to Medicaid. When we did e-consults and reduced the number of people who needed to go face-to-face, Connecticut Medicaid saved, I mean, it's just in one study for cardiology, the difference in cost per patient was over $600 per patient. If they did an e-consult, it was in a randomized controlled trial, it cost over $600 less for that patient than it did for a similar patient who was sent for face-to-face. And so in Connecticut, we are a fee-for-service, non-managed care state. Medicaid picked up on that and actually used our literature to justify, or our study to justify, adding e-consult reimbursement as a reimbursable benefit. So now specialists in the state of Connecticut can submit and get reimbursed directly for doing an e-consult. And so that initially was not having that before was a barrier. There was really no mechanism to get reimbursed for for the work that it took to do the e-consult. And recently, CMS picked up on this same uh, movement and and the evidence around it. And as of January of this year, included e-consults as a covered benefit under Medicare as well. And so that really opens up the potential to bill directly for -for fee-for-service for a a significant and growing number of patients in the country. But I think that that's important, and I don't want to minimize that. But I think more important is the move, as you mentioned, towards value-based care, risk-based arrangements, shared savings and such, because at least from a primary care perspective, when I look at what I do as a primary care provider and my colleagues day in and day out, and if I'm enrolled in some sort of a shared savings plan and and the incentives are for my health center to be as efficient and low cost as possible, there aren't that many things that I'm not already doing that generate cost savings. We're already working really hard to reduce ER admissions, to be open and available nights and weekends. We're already working really hard on transition management to get patients in to be seen immediately when they get discharged from the hospital so they don't bounce back. So we've we've squeezed a lot of juice out of that, that lemon, if you will, already. But the most expensive thing that we do every single day is send patients in for tests and procedures and to see specialists. And so the e-consult intervention is really something that allows us to make a dent in that and send those patients that need it to be seen with a specialist, but keep the ones that don't in primary care where, where our cost of delivering care is significantly cheaper. Mm-hmm. And you, you mentioned the reimbursement for this. This is an e-consult. And how is that potentially different from telehealth or telemedicine, or are they looked at the same by CMS? Yeah, so 
Telehealth is kind of a broad umbrella that encompasses a lot of different types of intervention. This is definitely not what most people think of as typical telehealth, where there's a doctor and a patient on uh, using Skype or something to communicate back and forth and maybe some equipment that's taking vitals and transmitting them. So it's not that. But it is a form of telehealth. And what we call it, what, it, what it's classified as is what's known as asynchronous telehealth. That's one of the key things. The, the information is captured and transmitted to the specialist, and they don't respond in live time. They, in, in our case, our specialist responded no more than two business days and get an answer back. The other thing that's different is uh, this is really peer-to-peer communication, clinician-to-clinician. So the primary care provider is submitting the information. The specialist is giving them some advice, similar to what we used to call a curbside consult. But the primary care provider is acting on that advice and deciding what to do is prescribing the meds or anything like that. So really the specialist in this case is providing curbside guidance and advice for the PCP to apply as they see fit. And that, that, that has important implications for licensing and malpractice and things like that. And it makes this type of telehealth infinitely scalable because nobody has to be live. You don't need to have the patient and the specialist and the primary care office all sort of live on camera doing the consult. You can batch them and do them at different times. And many of our specialists who work for us do this uh, you know, in between cases or at lunch or, or in the evenings. Some of them who have a lot of volume will actually take time out of their clinic day and, and build in this kind of telehealth time. So there's a lot of benefits to it and it's, it's much more scalable. Excellent. That was really a, a nice description of some of those different what has been, obviously for the primary care doctor, this is kind of a, a, a unique thing to, to be able to do and get this kind of information in for the patient. It's got some benefits. What's been the response from the specialist? I think it depends. Some specialists may see this as a threat. In, in particular, if you're in, if you're in an environment where you're, you're looking to get as many patients in as possible and build your revenue base and your patient base, because you know, in, in truth, we are reducing the number of cases that need to go see you as a specialist. But I think the larger experience we have had, though, in engaging with specialists is I think most of the specialists that I talk with and work with find this to be you know, exciting and important because they know as well as we do that a large number of patients we send to see them probably didn't need to come to be seen. And I don't think anybody feels good about that. You, you feel like you're wasting your time, you're wasting the patient's time, and you know there's a better way of doing it. So all of the specialists who work for us at ConfirmEd, I think, have signed on because they like being able to deliver this type of really efficient care. They like to engage with PCPs, and it, it, you know, in many ways, what they're doing is educating primary care providers and helping with that. And a lot of people also like the idea of being able to do this work on their own time and uh, outside of the office without all of the overhead and infrastructure. So there's a lot of appeal. And the other specialty groups that I think find this very appealing are hospital clinics that are trying to meet social need. Like, you know, if you are a public hospital that takes all comers and you're seeing large numbers of uncompensated care, this allows you to really focus those resources on the patients who really needed to come in, and it allows you to keep the patients in primary care who can be treated in primary care and make access more available to those who really need it. So mixed but largely positive response. And in terms of this system, how do you how do you select the specialists? Is there some sort of quality review that goes on for those, or do they have to apply and submit documents? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, so we're we're very particular about our specialists and uh, really look to recruit you know the, the the best and brightest specialists that we can get. All of our specialists are licensed, fully licensed in their subspecialty. Uh, we credential them ourselves. But I think you know, in addition to being great in their field, we really I think one of the most important things about an e consult is it's more than just answering a question. What 
what the what the what the specialist is doing is really providing education and clear guidance and advice to a PCP, and and they need to do that in a way that the PCP understands and react to quickly. So we actually have a fairly robust training for our specialists. We we audition them essentially all of our uh, of our specialists uh, when they you know if they've passed through our credentialing and everything, we we start them off with uh, several consults and then we review them carefully. They get feedback from a from a group of reviewers that we have at the company, and and then uh, we continue to educate them on the on you know not on their discipline, but really on on how to make their responses as as effective and educational as possible. And then we give them ongoing feedback reports and kind of report cards that show how they're doing, and really track down anytime we get a complaint or anything like that. So we we, we hold them to a fairly high standard. Really look to them to be as to be educators as much as just you know, answering consult questions. And given that you're multi-state. Uh, is it the whole country you can essentially serve? So we are currently providing consults in 15 states and several more teed up for the next quarters. You know, they, we've had to do a state-by-state analysis with of all of the licensing, credentialing, legal aspects, because this isn't the same as straight-up telehealth. If we were providing direct-to-patient telehealth, we simply would need to be licensed in every state. But this type of peer-to-peer consultation, depending on the state, is it does not always require an in-state licensure. Uh, so there's a lot of technicalities and a lot of things that we've had to, to understand. And so we, we think really strategically about which state we want to work in. So far, as I said, we've, we're, we've entered into 15 and, and that's about to increase. But we're aiming to really do this for as, as large a swath of the country as we can because there's need everywhere. Right. And that's fascinating. You know, I, hadn't, I had always thought that this would be similar to a, a direct consult to a patient, but obviously it's different. It's backsided. So some states don't require that state licensure because I know having nurses handle calls from patients a lot of times, you know, we had to make sure we had multi-licensure for all of our nurses to do that and accept the calls. And as you build this out, if people want to potentially join this network, how do they go about doing that? The easy answer is, you know, on our website, uh, confirmed.com, there's a, there's a, button that you push to, to, to get more information. And uh, we have a team of account managers that reach out you know, right away to talk with each organization. We've been really developing on the back end something that I like to call Quick Start, which is almost kind of a do-it-yourself rapid enrollment process that allows, you know, you might be a small clinic, you know, up in the mountains in Wyoming, and you, you may want to engage with us and do e-consults. We want to be able to make that available to you as quick as possible. So we've tried to make the process as streamlined as possible. I'll give you one small example. We, we got a call just a couple of weeks ago from a city, from a community health center in a city that had just seen an unexpected influx of refugees from Africa. And they had a variety of unusual tropical diseases and the primary care providers wanted some guidance from an ID doctor. And in less than a week, we had we were connected with their to their EHR and we were exchanging information and getting consults back to them in a rapid and, uh, and effective way. So we're really trying to make that engagement process as easy as possible because there's there's really no place in the country where this sort of thing isn't needed and wouldn't be beneficial. Yeah, that's a fantastic example. And you talked about no place in the country, which is obviously very true. As an FQHC working with these special populations, is this something that could be mainstreamed into the rest of medicine, Medicare, commercial plans, et cetera, and, and, and prove similarly beneficial, you believe? Yep, I do. I believe very much so. And we are working with commercial plans now, and we have implemented our, our solution in, in a variety of non-Medicaid, non-FQHC clinics and health systems as well. And I think that's likely where we're going to be seeing more significant growth in the future. As you know, as we talked about a little bit before, there's the ACO model, a lot of value-based payment options coming out of the major payers and all of that. And so we're expecting to see much more of, of our work to have benefit and to be 
implemented, you know, outside of the safety net, which uh, which I think is every bit as important. Uh, this may be really a dumb question. Are there any areas of medicine where you think this might not work, or is really any specialist really wouldn't matter? You know, it's interesting. People often kind of assume that things like orthopedics, plastic surgery, those types of specialties would just there just is no way you could do a curbside consult like this because you know it's orthopedics. You've got to feel their knee, you've got to twist their hip and all that sort of stuff. But uh, I think what I would say is there are certain specialties for which it's more beneficial and other specialties which it may be less, you know, used less often. But for, for example, in dermatology, we found that about 90% of all the consults that get submitted for dermatology can be completely resolved with an e-consult, don't need a face-to-face. For orthopedics, the number is much less. But that having been said, there I, I'm always surprised at how many times we send an e-consult to an orthopedist, and he's able to say, yeah, this is really not a surgical problem. Here's how we would approach it. I'd recommend physical therapy and this, that, and the other. So there's, I wouldn't say that there's any areas where there's there's never a use-free consult, but it's just a matter of sort of how, how much. And you know, oncology is another other example where we, we don't do an awful lot of oncology consults either. So there certainly are certain scenarios and certain specialties that really require that face-to-face presence, but but not many. As you built this network out, are there certain areas you're looking for more providers in that maybe uh, you, you, your growth there has been a little higher and you need more? So we have a our, our specialty network is growing really rapidly. Uh, we are recruiting specialists around the country. Have a, I mean almost a wait list of specialists. The areas where I will say we're always looking for specialists, though in particular dermatology, which is the the highest demand e-consult dermatologists are few and far between and hard to to get appointments with. And so we're always looking for dermatologists. On top of that, endocrinology, cardiology, gastroenterology, and rheumatology are most popular. Uh, we're always looking for more specialists. The the other area that I think we've had the, the biggest challenges and have had to really work hard to build a network is in the pediatric subspecialties. We're doing a lot of e-consult work in rural locations, school-based health centers, and in places really outside of the major urban centers. It's extremely difficult to get access to pediatric subspecialties. And so we have partnership here with the Connecticut Children's Medical Center that provides many of our e-consult reviewers for the pediatric disciplines, but we're always looking for more. So that's actually right now my number one priority is, is building that pediatric network further. Great. Well, Darren, it's really been fantastic having you on the show, covered a lot of ground, really appreciate it. So thank you so much for joining us on Pop Health Week. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. And that will be the last word on today's broadcast. I want to thank Dr. Darren Anderson, the Chief Quality Officer at Community Health Center, Inc., and Director for the Weizmann Institute. Community Health Center, Inc. is a leading healthcare provider in Connecticut, building a world-class, multi-state primary care health care system dedicated to caring for the underserved. Do follow their work on the web via www.chc1.com and on Twitter via at chcconnecticut. For Fred Goldstein, Dr. Darren Anderson, and Healthcare Now Radio, this is Greg Masters saying bye now.